Gustavi. How are you doing out there? What's up? Good. You enjoying the cold weather? Yes. Cool. Well, I was just over here, and as Brian was talking, I should have been listening. I know, I know. But I felt like the Lord put something on my heart. And, um, you know, so often we come in these places, and I believe the Spirit of God is knocking on our hearts, but we don't respond. And I felt like he told me, I need to bow down right now before you, because that's embarrassing for me. And so I'm going to bow down. And he told me to pray, so I'm just going to pray. If you'll bow your heads. Lord God, we just humbly submit ourselves to you. Father, I just felt like you put on my heart, there's many of your sheep are just burdened, they're carrying heavy burdens, God. They're entangled in sin, they're entangled in attitudes of the heart, Father. They're just, they're your sheep and they're burdened, God. And I remember the scripture, Father, that Lord Jesus, you said you looked and saw your sheep. You saw the people of Israel burdened and you had compassion on them. God, you love your sheep, you love your people. God, even if they can't even recognize, if they can't even see you with their eyes, I pray that you'd open their eyes and their ears to your great love, your great passion, God. You are the Holy One, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this summer, we went to Pastor Grill with, with my family. Now, I'm from a family that basically is only like an only child. My brother's 10 years older than, than I am, and we didn't go on a lot of vacations. Now, my wife's family, they do vacation right. Now, not that my family didn't do it right, but I enjoy so much being with my, like Jen's cousins, like aunts, uncles, people all around. I'm kind of rattled because Jesus was talking to my heart. So, so we may have to stop here and maybe do something else. Let me keep going and see what he's going to say. See what the Spirit of God says. Because I feel like we come in so burdened and we can't release to him. But we were in Paso Grill, and it was an extended family. And do you know what a sheller is? Anybody know what a sheller is? You can kind of nod at me if you do. If you ever were to wake up early on your vacation and go to the beach, you would see these specimens walking around, hunting treasure on the beach. They're shellers. They're hunting for shells. My wife's mom is one of those. Nana is what the grandkids call them. Well, just recently at Paso Paso Grill, we were there. I'm so rattled, man. The Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, the Spirit of God is going to speak today. It has nothing to do with me. So be prepared, okay? Because just as I had to surrender, you need to surrender, okay? But we'll keep going in this broken story here. <laughs> if we can get to it, because I'm kind of overwhelmed right now. Man. Our pride. It's our pride. It's our pride. And God wants it broken. How long are you going to go through life until you surrender to him? He loves you. Okay, so my, wife, my wife's mom, Nana, she's a sheller. She goes out and she looks for shells. And so my kids and Taylor, their cousin, go out there with her, and their mom got these butterfly catchers. 
And so they get these butterfly catchers, and they're out there, and I'm watching them because I go out there too, and I'll get the Bible, and I'll be praying, I'm, the waves, I'm spending time with the Lord, and I'm out there, and I'm watching them going back and forth, and they have these butterfly catchers, and my kids are picking up every shell on the beach. I mean, the broken shells, the ones with holes in them, everything you could see, they're so bad and so ugly that the sea has rejected these shells, okay? But they're putting them in these butterfly catchers, and I start to notice something that looks crazy. The more that they put in, the more they can barely handle holding this butterfly catcher. It wasn't meant to carry those shells. And so they're holding it, and it's starting to bend, and they can barely keep up with their nana. And poor Taylor, you know, she's the oldest. She's got to kind of mind them a little bit, so she's going back and trying to help them catch up. And I'm watching this, kind of laughing to myself. And so I start to walk towards them, because I'm like, you know, I'm just going to go over and spend some time with them and get some shells. And I prayed a prayer that I don't always pray, but I was like, Lord... On the way there, if I could find a couple shells that I could give to my kids, they're just beautiful shells, let me do it. Now, I don't normally pray like that, okay? But I found these on the way over there. And each one reminded me of my kids. Ellie with that pink one, it's a, it's a rare, it's a horse shell. And the other one's an alphabet shell that's very unique. They remind me of my kids. I couldn't wait to give it to them. Now, they had already been by this area. They had already been by there, but they missed these. And so I walk over, and I'm like, look what Daddy found. And they're jumping up and down. They're excited. And I'm like, I want to give these to you. They remind me of you. And so they look down at their, their, bat, you know, their butterfly catcher, and they're like, we'll put them in there. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I can't put them in there. It'll break if I put it in there. You guys need to put those down, and then I can put them in your hands. And they're like, well, Daddy, wait, wait. And then they're trying to hold with one hand, and they can barely do it, and they can't do it. I'm saying, no, no, you have to put that down before I can put that into your hands. They're like, well, well, Daddy, here, you hold this. I'm like, I'm not holding that. Those two things, are in the, they're, they're heavy. You have to take the shelves out. You have to put it down. You have to surrender. Isn't that how we are with God? God comes to us and he has true treasures, true treasures of presence, of victory, of power, things he wants to do in our lives, but our hands are too full. We have the butterfly catchers and we're putting in burdens and idols and sin and everything we can think of and we won't surrender it. We're not empty-handed. See, you only come to God one way and that's with empty hands. That's it. That's the only way. And some of you are carrying burdens today. We're going to be in John and Luke in the Gospels, and I love this picture. It's of Peter, and let me read this. This is right before Jesus is going to die on the cross. He's in Gethsemane, so let me read this for you. It says, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priest and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, underline that, remember that, Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, this is not a, a case where they're like, oh, Jesus is talking loud, and they walk back, and they do this. This was involuntary. Jesus said, I am, and they drop. They're holding the swords, swords drop, they step back, boom, 
hit the ground. I am. Again, he asked him, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, I love Simon. I love Peter. He's just like us. Who had a sword. Okay, first of all, Peter's a fisherman. What's he doing with a sword? He smells like fish. He's used to nets and knives and hooks. He doesn't smell like a soldier. He smells like fish. Who put a sword in Peter's hand anyway? But Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off the right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And he touched the man's ear and healed him. I love the scene. It's chaotic. But Peter brings out a sword, and Jesus says, you drop that sword, Peter. Peter, I'm here for the cross, not the sword. Peter, this is my kingdom. I'm here to heal. You see, you remember the Jews and the disciples thought that the kingdom would be by force. They would kick out the Romans, strike down Caesar, and subjugate the nations under God's kingdom. But Jesus heals. Think about it. This is Jesus' last recorded miracle on the earth before the cross. And Luke, being a physician, he records technical Greek in this. It's a medical term, and it's used for the small portion of an ear. It's just a little bit of the ear that is chopped off. Now, you go to Hollywood, you've seen any of the Jesus films. I mean, it's like they lop off the whole thing. It's like the side of the head. Jesus is like slapping it back on like healed, you know, that kind of thing. No. Luke is like, it's, it's a little bit of the lobe. It's a little piece. He could have survived without it. He can still hear. And besides, this was his enemy. But Jesus heals his captor and rebukes Peter. Straightforward, right? Peter, like us, always doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. Straightforward. Until, until you remember that Jesus, just two chapters ago, is the one that told him to bring the swords. See, two chapters before, Jesus goes to the disciples. He's like, boys, there's going to be a fight. There's going to be some trouble. Let's go get swords. They don't even have swords. They're not fighting men. They go to get swords because Jesus tells them. Now, all you men in here and some of you fighting women, when somebody tells you to get a sword and they tell you there's a problem coming, what are you going to do? What are you thinking? You're pulling out a sword. I'm ready for a fight, right? Even if you're like, man, I don't even, I don't even know how to fight. That's just this, us men. We're like, I'm there. Bring me, give me a sword I've never used. It's sort of like putting a chainsaw in my hand. You know, you just don't do it, okay? It's not good. But if I'm Peter, I'm mad. I'm livid. I'm like, look, Lord, you're the one that said to bring a sword in the first place. You ever felt like that with God? They're like, God, you're the one that, that brought me to this place anyway. You're the one that brought me, put this in my life. Why is it causing so much pain? Why is it this way, Lord? It's a good question. Why would he have Peter bring a sword if he never planned on Peter using it in the first place? Did Jesus set Peter up to fail? We already read that Jesus knew all that was going to happen, right? He knows all. Did he set up Peter to fail? 
See, he didn't set up Peter to fail, but to realize the great I am is in control. And Peter, you're not. Because we're just like Peter. I'll just fight my way out. I'll control this, Jesus. It's either fight or flight. It's either, look, God, if you're not going to control this situation, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fight my way out of this stuff. Or, God, clearly you aren't going to work in this situation, so I'll do something. I'm going to run. It's fear. Both things are fear. And Peter does both. He fights for a little, but then he runs. Either way, this is what Peter is saying. I will. I will. Instead of the great I am will. He didn't set up Peter to fail. But Jesus uses a name. I am. Jesus was completely in control, trusting his father. He was not a cornered beast lashing out like Peter, but a man submitting control of the situation to the father. Jesus lived in a place of total surrender to the father. Total submission, availability, dependence, obedience, and faith. John 5, 19 says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, the Son of Man can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever he does, the Son does likewise. See, like Peter, our greatest struggle is giving control to Jesus. We lash out, we run, we think we can control it. Think about the picture of this, okay? Think about what happened. It's going to sound really silly when I say this. You're going to be like, of course, Peter shouldn't have done that. But we do this all the time. This is what Peter did. He's like, Jesus, that name stuff, oh, that was great. It was so cool how they just dropped. That was just, that was awesome. But you haven't really changed my circumstance here. So, Jesus, you sit over here because I've got a sword. See, that's what we do. That's exactly what we do. Peter has the wrong picture of power. But furthermore, he has a bad picture of relationship. Well, Jesus, you're not powerful enough. And Jesus is like, you want swords, Peter? I've got swords. I've got legions of angels with swords I could call down right now. But I am under my Father's authority, and I do what he says. And he uses the name the great I am. Because he needs to show Peter that he has an option in life. You have an option in life. You can take out the sword or you can take up the name. You can pick up a cross or you can pick up a sword. What are you doing in life right now? See, Jesus used a name. I am. The name is big, real big. Blow down his enemies in the garden. Big, it's the name that spoke to Moses from the burning bush. A being who is so completely, comprehensively, supremely, and totally sufficient. Who has always been and is now and always will be perfect. That there is no way to describe him other than I am what I am. And Jesus said before Abraham, I am. Guys, God lands us in the middle of our gardens and our wilderness places so we can see we are completely opposite of him. He is I am, I am not. Corey Russell in his book on intercession says, do you realize that God deliberately sets up scenarios that force us to confront our barrenness, to produce a new prayer deep within our spirits? He's asking you to confront your gardens. He's asking you to confront your desert times. He's asking you to confront your wilderness, the places of fear and sin, and surrender them to him. To cry out in your barrenness. What do we do in our barrenness? We fill it with shelves. 
We fill it with the stuff of earth. We fill it with the things that won't satisfy. Surrender it to the name above all names. Remember Jesus said, this is my kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. See that word poor in the Greek? There's many times Jesus used the word poor. This is a unique word of poor. You know what it means? This is a person that is so desperate, so hungry, that if someone doesn't help them, they die. At the end of the day, they're dead. That's what that word poor is. And if someone helps them, they can never repay them. See, it's the person who will acknowledge their barrenness, their spiritual poverty before God, that he can fill their hands with the true treasure. You only come one way to God and it's empty-handed. You surrender. See, surrender is what Jesus did. Listen to Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to one who could save him from death. And he was heard. And he was heard because of the reverent submission. Jesus came empty-handed to the Father. Remember when you were first saved, you who are Christ followers? You put down your swords. You were excited It's not that your problems went away, but you realize the Lord is bigger than your problems or predicaments. Your picture of Jesus was big, real big. But what's our tendency? In the heat of the moment. Well, I better get that sword again because God's not in control. And we pick it up again. Whatever we surrender to him, right? We try to do it in our own strength, fight it out, carry our own burdens, fix it, or we run away and hide. We pick up the sword of anger, bitterness, the sword of self-sufficiency, depression. Maybe you're a workaholic, addiction, whatever it is. Maybe it's just simple little attitudes of your heart that are destroying you. You see, you've lost the bigness of I am. We need a fresh vision of the I am. We need a fresh vision of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We need a fresh vision. I want to take you to a story in the Song of Psalms. It's Psalms, Proverbs, and the Song of Solomon. And I'm going to give you a brief overview, overview, but this is what I want you to remember. She is in need of a vision, of a dream, of a picture of her King. So in the Song of Solomon, it's a beautiful picture of the church in Jesus, the bridegroom and the bride. It's a story of their relationship. And this is what I want you to remember. It's of you and your personal relationship with Jesus. And in this story, the king finds the Shulamite woman. That's who we are, the bride of Christ. And he loves her and romances her and her heart is swept away and he dedicates himself to her. It's a picture of our salvation. And he gives her a small bag of myrrh as a remembrance to wear around her neck, over her heart. It's like a wedding ring. She's betrothed now. She belongs to him. She is special and set apart. But somewhere in the pattern of their relationship, there's a verse that says he's among the lilies. And she takes that to mean that he's with other women, that he likes other people, that there's something going on. And she allows it to distance herself from him. And the thoughts go in her mind and the sin starts coming. And it says that the foxes run around the vineyard. That sounds weird. It's a Hebrew expression of sin or the attitude of hearts that spoiled the relationship. She lets the foxes, the world, the sin come into her mind and she hides, feeling unworthy. And he calls to her and says, come out to me, speak to me. 
But from a distance, she only speaks. She doesn't come out to him like he asked. So he leaves. Later, she realizes her mistake. She belongs to him. She has let pride and fear separate her from her beloved. And she seeks him dangerously in the night. But the watchmen on the walls direct her, and she is reunited with him. This is what I want you to catch. Later that night, he takes her to her bed and leaves. They're only betrothed at this time. And in the night, she has a dream. She has a vision. The eyes of her spirit are opened. And she has a picture of who her king truly is, who she'd forgotten. It says this in Song of Solomon 3.6. Who is this that comes up out of the wilderness? The wilderness is the world. Like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the powders of the merchant. See, just like us, she had forgotten how strong and powerful her king was. She forgot what was wrapped around her neck. She forgot the ring. The wilderness represents the world, the desert times, the struggle. But notice it says he moves through and up the wilderness. We need to realize the place that we're stuck in, Jesus moves through with ease, like he's sleeping in a boat. I think I've read that somewhere. And he has power over all things. All things are under his feet. Demons, principalities, powers, your sickness, your problems are all under the feet of Jesus. And I love it. He's surrounded by pillars of smoke. And at first you're like, that's strange. What does that mean? This is what it means. Surrounded by pillars of smoke, which in the Bible always represents God's glory, his power, and authority. Flashes of lightning, sounds of thunder coming forth from the pillars of smoke. It's holy fear. He is Lord over all, and he crushes his enemy. He has wrath towards anyone who will touch his bride, and she needs to remember that. And as she sleeps, the eyes of her spirit are open to see Jesus, the bridegroom, the I am, filled with glory and power. She has nothing to fear. To him alone she is to offer the sacrifice of praise, because she knows the battle is not hers. He is the conqueror the glorious one, the worthy one, her victory. The smoke also represents in Leviticus 1.9 an acceptable sacrifice to God. He is the acceptable sacrifice for all the sin of her heart, every wayward way. Jesus will bring her back to himself and conquer her sin and her enemy, the devil. What about you? Have you caught the vision of your Savior that lives inside of you, surrounded by pillars of smoke, Flashes of lightning, rolls of thunder. The eyes of her spirit are open and she sees the myrrh. Remember he had given her a little bag of myrrh to wear around her neck as a remembrance that she belongs to him. But she had forgotten it when the foxes, her sin, the world, the devil had overwhelmed her. Now she sees him. He is filled with the fragrance of strong, committed love. She is overwhelmed once again with unfailing love. In the same way, it reminds us of the price paid on the cross to have us, where he said, it is finished, which means it is paid in full. The debt of my sin is paid, paid upon by Jesus, who was pierced for my transgressions, crushed for my sin. The punishment I deserved was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Amen. That even when those little foxes, that sin stuff in our hearts, Even when they show up, he won't take his love from me. 
may we never forget what our Savior did on a hill called the skull, Golgotha. He loves you that much. The next is the frankincense. It's a scent cut from the swallowed bark of a tree, and it means to make white. In other words, though my sins were as scarlet, he makes me white as snow. That I can come before my king because of the blood of Jesus that speaks a better word. In Galatians it says this, it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. My confidence is in the finished work of Jesus. I boast in the cross of Christ, not my self-effort. And I love it, in the temple, the frankincense was put upon what was called the showbread. And the showbread was called the, the bread of his presence. And it's a picture of the spirit of Christ, this Holy Spirit now living in you if you know him. His presence lives inside of you. His presence And the last is the powders of the merchants. And that sounds strange, but it's the smell of a resurrected life. It's the smell of a resurrected life. How many believers are in here? And there's an open tomb, but you're still in the tomb. Come out to a resurrected life. Then you're going to meet an angel that's like, why are you in the place of the dead? Let's go do some life together. Because Jesus said, I came to give life and life more abundantly. In fact, it says the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. When we pick up the sword, When we hold on to the shells, we allow the enemy, the fox, to still kill and destroy. We allow him entrance into our minds, into the vineyard where he has no right because you've been purchased with the blood of Jesus. We need to catch a vision of I am surrounded by pillars of smoke and lightning. Our conquering king who said nothing, nothing, no thing, nothing, no thing can separate us from him. Romans 8 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are unconquerable. You are unconquerable through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. She's catching a vision of him, and it's bringing healing to her heart. And here's the truth. Here's the truth. Hear this truth. Hear this right now. Lord, open ears right now. The picture she saw of the king is King Jesus. And that's the same king that now lives in you. We need a fresh vision. I am needs to get big again because he's too small. We must apply these truths and catch the vision. The Jews had this saying. When they would say I am, they would say he is. Because it sounds kind of weird to say I am, right? Because it's like you're talking about yourself. They would say, he is. Listen to this. This is in Hebrews. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe he is. The Greek kind of disguises it, but that's Hebrew. That's what they would say. He is. And that he rewards those who diligently seek him. See, our problem is we don't believe he is. The Lord said, when you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with what? All your heart. 
You can't come to him halfway. You can't surrender some things. You must give all. You seek him with abandon. Surrender all. Jesus Christ held nothing back on the cross. And he demands that we hold nothing back from him. We lay it down at his feet. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to give the only response that you can give. It's called faith. That he is I am. He is my light and my salvation. He is my strength. He is my fortress and deliverer. He is my shield and buckler. He is my great high priest and intercessor. He is my king and my God. He is my beloved. He is everything that is perfect, excellent, complete, and flawless. The great I am is mightier than the sword. The great I am is God over your circumstances. You only have to be still and let him fight for you. You only have to drop the sword and let the sword of the word of God come into action when we rest in the name of the great I am. Are you at rest in his presence? Do you have a vision of Christ? Is he big or is he tiny? Not able to do anything. Faith. Faith. Here's what's crazy. This is what's crazy. The Lord will let you pick it up. He'll let you pick the sword back up again so you can see the sword isn't working. That worrying and fretting isn't working. You striving in your own power isn't working. Those attitudes of your heart, it isn't working. When will we release control to I am and put it in his hands? You see, you have to put something down to receive what Jesus wants to give you Remember the shells. Stop carrying the old shells. Pick up the true treasure, the treasures of his power, his presence, his peace that he wants to pour upon his people. You are burdened, but not meant to walk in that way. You see, that's where victory is. It's by receiving what Jesus did for you. It's not your victory. Victory is not doing my best for Jesus but receiving what Jesus did for me and applying it by faith in the Son of God. Surrender and receive. I want to ask the band to come up. And before we do communion today, if you've seen that we're going to do communion, I want communion to represent a surrendering because it's called we receive communion. But you have to surrender something. This is symbolic of a life that says, I will lay it all down at your feet, Jesus, and receive grace. The scriptures say it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace and not ceremonial food. Do you live under grace? Are you under law? Are you under your own self-effort? Where are you at? What are the shells you're picking up? What's weighing you down that you can barely hold it? What I'm going to do in a second is I'm going to read a prayer over us, and I'm going to ask you to stand. And then what I want you to do is I want you to come, whatever it is in your mind, you want to say, Lord, I'm surrendering it to you and I receive this communion. And this is what I want you to do. You may have never done this before. And I didn't do the thing at the front because I thought of it now. But I want you to go back and bow where you're at. I want you to lift your hands. Jesus is here. One day he's going to see him fully. And I'm telling you, we're going to hit the deck when we see Jesus. There won't be worrying about Sally Joe, Mary Jane, Bobby, whatever. We'll have a picture of the Son of God. And we will fall on the ground before I 
am. There's places you can kneel. There's kneeling benches here. Next Steps is in the back. If you need prayer for anything, if you need healing, if you need anything, you need to go to Next Steps. If your marriage is in trouble, you need to go to Next Steps. If you're addicted, you need to go to Next Steps. You need somebody to pray over you and say, Jesus still loves you, and he's going to free you if you will surrender all to him. There's some of you today, you don't even know Jesus. You can't even receive this until you first know Jesus. Jesus said, if you believe in him, you'll be saved. You'll pass over from death to life. He died on a cross, naked for you. Poured out his blood so you could be cleansed. Guys, it's heaven and hell. That's what's all at stake here. And it says in the scriptures, hell was not designed for people. It was for demons. And God doesn't want anyone going there. So he would suffer on a cross to make sure you didn't go there. But you have to surrender your life. And if you're a believer here, stop picking up the sword. Put it down and call out to I am. Let me read this. Let's stand. I want to read this over you before we take communion. You can say this silently if you want or out loud to yourself as I read it. Oh Lord, let me see that Jesus is all I need. May you be the I am of every circumstance that invades my life. Let me see the true picture of this wilderness, this garden I must live and walk in. Holy Spirit, cause my spirit to have a fresh vision of Jesus. Lord, open the eyes of my heart without a clear Holy Spirit vision of my all-powerful conquering king. I will fall in the wilderness. I will fear in the garden. In my beloved Jesus' name, amen. When you come to this table, that's what we're calling it, when you take communion, it's a table of grace. It's a table for brokenness. It's a table for sinners. It's a table of surrender. It's a place where we say, I am is better than me, and I'm going to stop being I will. It's a place where we stand in faith on the finished work of Jesus, and I surrender my self-effort, and I boast in the cross of Christ alone. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And if you haven't received Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity. And if you ask Christ into your life right now, I want you to go immediately next steps once everybody's doing communion.